Welcome and thanks for joining us. My name is Sam Anwar Sesha, Director of the Museum of Colour and your host for this series, My Words Donations. As part of the My Words exhibition at the Museum of Colour, we have invited a number of poets to donate objects to our digital collection. These are items that have a real significance to them and their creative journeys. This series is a chance to hear the stories behind those donations. And coming up, we'll be talking to Roger Robinson. I'm Roger Robinson. I'm an artist, mainly poetry, but other things too. I make music. I've done theatre and moving into other things like novels and nonfiction. But at my heart, I'm a poet. My heart, I'm a poet. I love that. So, Roger, how would you describe your poetry? You know, poetry for me is one a means for meeting people. It's like I often say, I write to meet humans. And when I start forgetting that, my poetry goes down. But also poetry is a way for me to practice empathy. So poetry can be like a technology where you can practice empathy and hopefully have empathy with your family and other people and strangers. And so the practice of that is important for me in writing. And that's why I consistently write poetry. Okay, I can't leave that first part. So poetry is a way for you to meet mm-hmm. people. So do you mean that in a literal way in that because you write poetry, you engage with others in the performing of poetry and so forth? Or do you mean you meet them through the writing? No, it's like literally, physically, like they actually meet the people. Writing is such a solitary act. But as soon as you get poetry out there, you get to meet loads and loads of people. I'm, I'm a people person and I got that from my mum. And so it's a way for me to just meet people. Like I send out like a bad signal and then people say, oh, yeah, I want to talk to him. And so I get to meet people, you know, as an artist, you could make progress and it takes you more and more away from people. You know what I'm saying? And I have to remind myself that my poetry is about people and for people and for me to meet people. So, you know, if I'm somewhere and they say somebody wants to meet you to have dinner and everything, I'm like, mean, yes, yeah, I'll meet, I'll, I'll meet them. You know, if, if they say, oh, they have a few people who want you to sign, I think, like, yes, I'm definitely come to sign and talk with them and find out about their lives, find out if they're right, you know? Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a way of meeting people. There's a risk that you could become an artist and end up in a garrison away from everyone. And as soon as that happens, your work is going to go downhill rapidly. You know what I'm saying? And funny enough, the more you win... The more awards you win, the more kudos you get, the further it takes you away from the actual people who you want to meet. And the further it takes you away from the thing you actually do. And then that's when it starts to crumble. Right. So given that you have recently won a number of awards and your profile has risen, even though you've been writing poetry mm-hmm. for a really long time, does that mean you have been at that juncture where it has there has been the possibility of you being removed from the people you want to meet. Yeah, I think it's just an active thing. It's just an, an an active thing. There's only so many things you could take on and then you start to choose the ones that, you know, probably benefit you career-wise and financial-wise. But sometimes that doesn't include people. So Sizzler, like I take a lot of lessons from reggae and hip-hop and stuff like that. Sizzler says anytime you're winning, the poor people have to win too. And by poor, he meant just regular people. You know what I'm saying? It's just like... They have to eat. You know, your win, people have to eat off your win. It's not just for you. Poor people have to eat too, you know. I love that. I'm going to come back on what you said because you talked about it's a way for you to practice empathy. So, yeah, tell me more what you mean by that. Poetry is, is a technology. 
you know, is a technology. It's small, it's compact, it's portable, but it deals with not just craft and emotion, but there's also a spiritual component. So, you know, I would find it really weird if somebody was to read my book and go out and be outwardly racist to someone immediately after reading it. That would shock me, and that would go against the principles of why I wrote it. So it's the opportunity to practice empathy. It's quick, it's portable, but it's very strong in terms of its spiritual and emotional components. And if people could just practice that, you'll have a lot less kind of interpersonal strife, interracial strife. And that's the importance of poetry, you know. In every single country in the world, poets are revered. But it's not about money, because they don't make any money. They're not pop stars. They often are not stylish. Why are poets revered in every single country? Because they do a lot with emotions and spirit. And that's very important for any population. Because without that, you could have a crisis, you know, within populations. And so when dictators are trying to take over, oftentimes they say, let's deal with the poets first. Because the poets could sway the populace emotionally and make them rise up and think what is the best for people as opposed to what's the best for dictators or stuff like that. And this is this, some of the stuff I learned from my mentor, Kwame Dawes. I didn't invent none of this, you know? Yeah. When did you know yourself to be a poet? I don't think there was a point where I said, okay, now I know I'm a poet. But there was definitely a point where I knew my writing could move people in a particular type of way. And that didn't make me a poet, but it's definitely, you know, you start writing through some type of a nearly aesthetic boredom, you know, you're just bored, you have nothing to do, you might as well write something. I always used to write when I was in school, like college, and then I used to write all through university, but never took it particularly seriously. And after aesthetic boredom, you know, you get some type of appreciation and then you start getting to the point where you're just like, oh, let me do some more because people seem to be appreciating it. And then you get encouragement and then you start really including things like craft and a mentor and a craft and a mentor helps you to get these ideas out. And then after that, you know, you start seeking other mentors and other crafts to kind of add into it. Then it's a matter of practice, practice, practice. And then you get to a point where you practice so much that you make fairly few mistakes with your instincts. Your instincts become sharp. And when your instincts become sharp, economics start giving you time to do it. People start saying, you know, have this money to continue on with your practice. And then you go on to your practice and then you get to a point where you sit down and it's like, oh, this is probably what I was supposed to do with my life. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then you get to that point where you're just like, okay. This is what I do, and this is this is why I'm here after a certain amount of practice. So you knew yourself to be a poet when you had practiced, been encouraged, been supported, and so forth. That's when you knew yourself to be no, a poet? I still don't know myself to be a poet. All I know is just, there's a journey. There's a journey that you have, and that, you know, you're here to do this. You know, so there's, there's never a point where it's just like, aha, now I'm a poet, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, that never happened, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked to a number of poets. I don't think anybody's done that yeah. part, but I am going to ask you. So there was a moment, and you mentioned your your mentor, Kwame Dawes. And did you seek out Kwame? Kind of and kind of not. And so my other mentor, Benini Everisto, she used to run workshops and spread the word. And again, she's somebody who taught I had some talent. So like 25 years ago, she used to run workshops and she used to let me do all of them for free because I was just broken younger than I was now. <laughs> and, um, 
And so Bunidin was like, yeah, come, come true and do all of these. Yeah. So that's where I met Kwame. And Kwame was like, yo, send me some stuff. And so I just started sending stuff. So, but I had seen Kwame before on TV, probably about six months before that, because he won the Ford First Book Award for a book. And I just, on TV, I saw a black man sign up for the first book award. I was like, oh, who's this dude? And his book was in the local bookstore. So I went and bought the book called Progeny of Air. And then that book had always been an influence on me ever since. So, Yeah, that's interesting. So for listeners who don't know, who is Kwame Dawes? Currently, he's a professor in the University of Nebraska. But he's written over 20 books. A lot of them deal with kind of religion, spirituality, and blackness, slavery, coming of age. But he's just a really great writer, but also, too, he's a really great teacher. I'd recommend any of his books, really. He used to be at University of South Carolina, and he was a part of something called Afro Style School, which was kind of seminal for a lot of the black writers who were around in England at the moment. Because from Afro Style School, a lot of those writers went on to Malika's Kitchen, and a lot of those writers went on to The Complete Works. A lot of those writers in The Complete Works went on and just started winning all the prizes, so... There's been a long list of people who been through certain specific workshops who are kind of coming to the fore now. Yeah, it's good to see. It's really good to see. So we've asked you to donate two objects to the mm-hmm. museum. But before we talk about your donations, what is your relationship to museums? And follow up, what does it feel like to be in one now? Well, I have a real troubled relationship with museums. Because every time they ask me to commission to do something, I end up criticizing the museum and then they don't use it. <laughs> so I've had like commissions from VD where I just like, yo, this ain't it. And they'd be like, yo, you can't say that. I was like, I can say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think museums as an idea are good, but you know, museums storing illegal stolen loot from countries is clearly bad, you know? And saying that you are the conservators of it and saying that you need to keep it safe is the most racist thing that you could even say. And so I don't have a good history of museums. There are not a lot of museums that I go to. But this museum is good because it's come from uh, the minds of black women who understand all the issues and understand the importance of archiving and stuff. So so I'm super happy to be in this particular museum. Yeah. All right. That's good to know. And you are and you have added to our collection. So let's talk about what you've popped into the Mm -hmm. collection. Tell us about your first donation. What does it mean to you and why do you want to share it? Well, I think the first donation I gave was a card for my son for Father's Day. Because, you know, my son is my reason debt for living at the moment. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I love him so much. But he's also incredibly creative, which I admire him a lot. So he made a card with a fist. And he said, you're the Don Dada. Because I'm always singing reggae. So the fact that he put Don Dada, as in good dad, with Don Dada, I was like, whoa. I loved it. And it was so cool and minimal. It was like a cool card. So I really admired that uh, for his creativity. And um, the other one was, I think, a seven-inch vinyl, which was one of the first vinyls from my band, King Midas Sound. And, you know, at that point, there's a picture that they took. And when they took the picture... I remember how I felt when the picture was shot. In truth, financially, I wasn't doing too well. But I always had that sense of like, yo, I'm going to use my creativity to kick against everything. And then, you know, that particular record really changed not just my mindset, but changed my fortunes. And so it was a moment that I remember the way I just like, you know, I run this shit. I'm I'm controlling it. So I run this bleep. (laughs) And nothing's going to stop me, you know what I'm saying? And it's something I've always carried, carried with me. It's just like, yo... 
being broke is an opportunity for creativity, you know, and, and creativity can make wealth in your life. And that's been a thing for me. And I think it really started there because I had made a few gambles on different projects and it didn't work. And I was like, okay, this is it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting mm. you say that basically when you're broke, it, there is an opportunity for creativity. Mm. You know, what is that? Is it that, you know, your feelings are swimming around and you have the time to be present with them? Or is it that you have nothing to lose? So there is a degree of honesty in what you do. And is that part of the second album syndrome, <laughs> which is that it's never necessarily, no, it's not always as strong as the mm. first because the first was so fueled with so yeah, much. But yeah, looking at being broke as an opportunity is a fantastic thing to do. Also to control in your mind. Like if you could just tell yourself, like if you have something, stop telling yourself that you're a mess. I do these things for artists' tweets where one of the things I've learned during the years is just really control your mind. You know what I'm saying? Don't let your mind get away from you. Stop housing negative thoughts. And I think that picture and that album was very much as like, okay, forget the negative thoughts, do the work, you know? Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that donation as well. So, okay. There is a third donation. Can mm -hmm. you tell us about that one? It's a book called A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. Hanif Abdurraqib is a Muslim American, black Muslim American, but he writes about performance and the politics of black performance in America over a range of years. So everything from Patti LaBelle to black tap dancers during minstrel times, the origin of the moonwalk. But it's such a strong melding of politics, poetry, and nonfiction prose that I've never read anything like it before. It's like super emotional and super informative and interesting that, you know, the performance is just the entryway into it, but the insights about race uh, were amazing and it really helped me understand a way into writing essays because I've written essays before, but not kind of lyric essays or creative essays. So it helped me to understand exactly how I should approach it and what my strengths are and how I can bring my strengths to writing essays. And so the essays in Home and Not a Place are very influenced by that particular book by A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. And believe it or not, I'm not a strong reader. Like I don't read books all the way through. Like I pick them up and then I might read a third of it. And the following month, I might read another third of it. So I don't read things all the way through. That book I read in a complete day, it's about 300, 300 and something pages. One day, one day. And I, I just don't read books all the way through. But then certain books are just like, Toni Morrison's Sula, which is a short book I read in half a day. But there's certain books where you're just like, yo, there's no way I'm putting this down today. It's whatever. Everything's cancelled. Let's go. Hmm. So, Roger, we have another donation from you, but it's a poem. So tell us what poem you've chosen, and we look forward to sharing it. So it's a poem from Home Is Not A Place, which is a new book that I did in collaboration with Johnny Pitts, uh, where we travelled around the country anti-clockwise talking to black people on the coast. This is called Loving Myself in a Land That Does Not Love Me. And considering all the craziness with Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss going on, I think this is very important for black people. Loving myself in a land that does not love me. When hatred like seasons shift from chill to bitter, I cocoon, I oil my scalp, I stretch, eat greens and grease my skin. Each day will bring its battle, so I must be prepared. Even now I'm barefoot, earth in backyard grass, watching my grief seep into the soil and come rushing back as positive charge. I set up camp, 
light vanilla scented candles. Listen for myself amongst my Stevie Wonder tapes. Find my top range of my vocals in another star. I read myself in James Baldwin books. Use my best pen in empty notebooks and write, do not test me today. I have no white flags. I remind myself that unhealthy minds must not infect mine. I read my Bible. I pray. I ask for forgiveness, for wisdom, for clarity, for insight and foresight. For what is ritual without renewed vision? I paint my nails scarlet, hypnotize myself with splayed fingers I now See, there's this hate that intrudes on my day unannounced by way of memory or trigger and without the washed and strengthened temple of my body I could quickly and easily be diverted from my divinely inspired purpose. I rest, I read, I soak and I sing how far the preparations for war from the rituals of peace. Thank you to Roger Robinson for being part of our exhibition and donating to the Museum of Colour. To view the donations photographed by Sharon Wallace and the portraits by Derek Kakembo, head to www.museumofcolour.org.uk where you can explore the rest of the My Words exhibition and discover our growing digital collection. My Words Donations is presented by me, Samuel Sesha, and is produced by Stella Sabin for the Museum of Colour. Further episodes of this series are available across all podcast platforms where you can also listen to our previous project, Respect Due. The music you have heard in this series is by the fabulous Randolph Matthews. You can listen to more of his work at www.randolphmatthews.com. My Words is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, Arts Council England and the Foyle Foundation. Museum of Colour is incubated at People's Palace Projects, based at Queen Mary University, London. Thank you for listening.